Well, as we were just reminded by these guys so well, it takes courage to be a man of God or to be a woman of God in today's world. And if that strikes you as a little bit of an unusual word to associate with living out your faith, uh, that's because our culture basically tries to define who we will be and how we will conduct ourselves to this kind of uh, narrative. Be nice people who do nice things to make a nice world. And that's nice, but that's not our mission. And that's not our call, and that's not who we are. And so it does take courage, and we're going to be talking about that today as we continue to go through the Bible. And we are now into the readings of the prophet Daniel this week. If you want to join us in that journey, you'll see in the program uh, where you can find uh, the reading plan and begin to get in on what we're reading week by week. Uh, That will conclude uh, in December where we will have read the entire Bible. But if you want to follow along with me today... Daniel's chapters 1, 2, and 3 will be uh, where we'll be focusing and uh, we'll be gleaning and learning about how to take a stand in this day. I uh, have a friend who a few years ago uh, had to take a stand and it was very difficult and it was very costly. He worked for one of those companies that uh, you know well that sells a lot of electronics. You can get your TV or your stereo or your computer, you know, all kinds of gadgets at this place. And he worked for the corporation in the area of security. So just to tease that out more, he wasn't one of those guys that wore a little uniform and stood at a corner to see if anybody was shoplifting. There's uh, extensive surveillance that goes on in these stores. And he was over the surveillance systems in their various stores. And in the course of doing his work, on one occasion, he discovered some wrongdoing that was taking place. And so as a part of his protocol and procedure, he notified his superiors. I think I've discovered some wrongdoing. These things are happening. I've discovered that, you know, this stuff's going on. And uh, not realizing that the extent of the wrongdoing had moved to the point of those who were his superiors, he immediately got in trouble. And so these guys basically came back to him and said, we want you to pretend like you've seen nothing, you've heard nothing, and by all means, we don't want you to say anything. Get it? Well, this guy's a Christian. And so he began to pray, Lord, It seems pretty obvious to me that you don't want me to go along with what my superiors have just commanded me to do. What you know, confirm this in my heart. So after some prayer, he knew he could not do what his superiors had asked him to do. So he went over their head and uh, basically did the whistleblower thing. Well, he didn't realize how far up the food chain this wrongdoing was going on, and he was immediately fired because it was pervasive um, in the higher management. It's costly for him to take a stand with respect to an ethic in the workplace built upon scriptures and the character of God. Now, friend, you're going to have these kinds of things in your workplace. You're going to have it in your social relationships. You're going to have it with respect to how culture conducts itself. And we're in a political season. There's all kinds of issues flying around that these things matter. 
Uh, these things are of importance to God. And He has us in this world for reasons and for purposes. And we are His ambassadors to this world. And so that means we conduct ourselves and live according to His plans, His purposes, and His ways. His character. So to help us to see what that can look like and how we get there, we're taking a look at Daniel. Now, the New Testament takes this uh, into matters of great clarity for us, and we want to reflect on that for a moment. 1 Peter 3:15, or one of the verses that my friend was holding on to in the midst of his challenge. Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Why are you making this decision? Why are you bucking the trend? Why are you going against the mandates of this corporation? Being ready to give an answer or reason for the hope that is within you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, the Apostle Paul had a whole lot to say about this matter of taking a stand in your culture and in your day. And in Ephesians 6, in a context where he's talking about how spiritual the battle is and how you have to armor up with the, the, the weapons of God. And we don't have time to unpack all that today, but notice how he gets at that. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. See, this isn't something you're just thrust out there on your own. Good luck with that. But you're going in the name of God and the power of God and the ways of God. Put on that full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes and therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. And after you have done everything, to stand. You get it? (laughs) We're called to stand. Not just fade in the back, you know. Uh, background and, and not make a stir and, and not be noticed and just kind of be inconsequential, but to stand respectfully, gently, kindly, firmly. So let's begin to get into how this plays out with Daniel and his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to do that, I want to give you just a real quick historical context. This was uh, around 605 B.C., Uh, The southern kingdom called Judah had been conquered by Babylon. Uh, A series of battles had begun at that point. They hadn't been totally destroyed until 587. But in 605, there was a major deportation of some of the key choice leading figures in Jerusalem, uh, deporting them from there to Babylon. And there these young, sharp men who had all kinds of potential were being groomed to serve King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And you can see how vast the Babylonian Empire was in this day. It was the world power of its day, uh, covering you know half of Turkey all the way over, uh, all of Iraq, half of Iran, most of Egypt, all down and throughout the Middle East and Sinai Peninsula, etc. So it was the world power of the day. And Nebuchadnezzar arguably then was the most powerful man uh, in his day. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were four of these choice Hebrew young men that were brought into the employ of the king. And so uh, here's where it all begins. How is it that you begin to take a stand? And the first thing that Daniel did and that his companions did is that they began to identify with God. 
There was no secret agent believer, secret agent follower, fall back into the background. Nobody knows who you are and what you stand for and what your, your values are and all that kind of thing. They immediately began to identify with God. And it happened right out of the gate. One of the first things that happened was when uh, all of these sharp young guys were brought into the king's court where they were going to be groomed by the king and, and taught by uh, the leading scholars of the day and so on. Uh, they were to eat regularly from the king's table. Now, this was going to be pretty good food, like the choicest foods in the land. However, it was also food that had been sacrificed to idols. And uh, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not going to defile themselves by eating this kind of food. And so when uh, one of the attendants of the king came and began to serve the food out to everyone. When he got to those four guys, they said, Sorry, we cannot do this. Now, again, gently, respectfully, but firmly, uh, Daniel basically said this. He resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drinks. And so, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And the scriptures say that God gave him favor with this attendant. And the attendant was sympathetic to the cause, but he was also very self-centered. And he said, you know what? It's going to be obvious if you don't eat the king's food. Because this is like tremendous food and all of your peers are going to be fattened. They're going to look plump. They're going to look healthy. And you're not eating it. You're going to look kind of sickly. And they're going to ask me why. And when I tell them, they're going to kill me. And so Daniel says, I tell you what, you allow us just to have vegetables and water for 10 days. Just do a little test. And after 10 days, if we don't look as good or better than the others who are eating from the king's table, then you can have your way about it. And so they did the 10-day test. He comes back and, man, these guys look great. I mean, God's just flourished them and blessed them, of all things, eating vegetables, <laughs> you know. Um, most of you know I have a little challenge with vegetables. But anyway, uh, they immediately began to identify with God, even on that kind of minuscule level. A second thing that you see is that they began to overtly serve God. Now, when you start talking about serving God, you know, that can be like this big abstract concept. What's that mean to serve God? You know what? What? What it typically means is that you are serving God in some way of serving people. And so it's very tangible. Uh, it's very practical. Um, and in this case, there was a situation where Nebuchadnezzar was having a recurring troubling dream. And he, he didn't know what it meant, but he thought it was significant. And so he brought in all of his wise men. And uh, began to inquire of them, I want you to interpret this dream for me. And they said, well, sure. Tell us what the dream is. And not believing their integrity, that they would really be able to interpret the dream. He said, no, I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to discern what the dream is yourself, and then you have to tell me what it means. And if you don't, I'll kill you. Pretty tough employer, huh? And so uh, they were like, nobody can do that. Nobody can just, you know. And they really began to show their hand that they didn't have a clue on things of an otherworldly nature anyway. And so the king decided to kill them all. 
Well, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had not been in that first uh, conversation about dream interpretation. And when it got back to them, they were about to die because all the wise men were going to be killed. Daniel immediately went to one of the attendants and said, Would you go ask the king if I can have an audience with him? And he does. And he gets to stand before the king. And he says, King, I might be able to interpret this dream. Now, in chapter 2, you'll read in verses 27 and 28, Daniel answered the king and he said, I agree with all these other wise men. There is no wise man. There's no enchanter, no magician, no astrologer that can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. The king says, okay, I'm going to give you a little time. Daniel and his friends go off. They pray. God, show us. God, show them the dream. God, show them the interpretation of the dream. Daniel goes back. He says, okay, I've got it. And he serves the king. He blesses the king with this prophetic information that basically forecasts some things that are going to be happening geopolitically in the coming years. It's a fascinating read. You're going to be doing that this week. Uh, So have fun with that. But here's the point. How was Daniel and his companions beginning to take a stand? Well, one is that they would identify with God thoroughly and clearly. And another is that they would serve him by serving others, even those who were not followers of God. Even those who did not esteem the ways and the will of God. And then see in the third place that they took a stand by being faithful to God. And, of course, this is probably one of the more uh, famous episodes out of the Bible for you. And uh, this especially focuses on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, not too long after dream interpretation and and Nebuchadnezzar's like wowed by the God of Daniel. And uh, he tells everybody, Daniel's God must be really great and so on. Not too long thereafter, because he's not had a conversion experience... He begins to placate to his gods and began to see himself as a god. And so he erects this monument to himself for everybody to worship. And this monument, the statue of himself, we're told, is like eight stories high. And can you imagine that? You'd have to go to Bellevue to see something eight stories high. That, that's, you know, the image of Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what he's done. He's commissioned this awesome band, this kicking band, to just go all over the place. And every time they strike up the band, everybody hears the music. They're supposed to bow or prostrate themselves before this, this image, this idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't do it. They won't succumb to idolatry. And when the king gets wind of this, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? If you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Well, it might just be the same God that interpreted your dream, but he, you know, hardened heart, far from God, you don't get these things. And so you know the rest of the story. They won't compromise. They remain faithful. And so Nebuchadnezzar gets really, really mad. 
And he not only determines he's going to throw them into this fiery furnace, he cranks it up seven times hotter than normal. I'm really going to fry you, buddy. And, and I'm going to make an example out of you. The attendants that are bringing these guys to the furnace die just bringing them to the furnace. It was so hot. And, of course, they enter the furnace. They're not burned. They're not consumed. They come out of it. They don't even smell like smoke. Holy cow. I mean, God just was all over this thing honoring their faithfulness. Now, let me uh, bring this home to us. So quick. How do I take a stand? And I'm specifically going to focus on these same three areas. How would you take a stand with respect to identifying with God or serving God or being faithful to God? In light of what you just saw out of Daniel's example. The identification with God means that there are certain practices that are a part of my life that when people look at that, they go, why in the world would you do that? God. And so things like gathering for Sunday worship, that's a way that you identify with God. Now, I recently had a couple of weeks off and became more convinced than ever about how gathering for worship on Sunday is an identifier with God because, holy cow, overwhelmingly people were not identifying with God. As I drove and I, I went to church while I was off, and as I was going to where I was going to go worship, usually I get here early and so, you know, people aren't even up and about and things like that. And I don't see what I saw on this day when I was going across town to an 11 o'clock service somewhere. And people were out everywhere doing anything and everything but worshiping God. And so when I began to carve out that kind of time, it's a significant way to identify with Him. Uh, Sabbath keeping. You go, well, isn't that one and the same? It is for a lot of us. For a lot of you, your Sabbath, your time where you will not work and where you will engage with God is Sunday, and this gathering is part of that. I tend to work during this time, so my Sabbath is another time. And most of the time, my Sabbath is on Friday. And when people talk to me about, will you do this or will you do that, you know, on Friday, most of the time I have the opportunity to say, well, this is kind of my Sabbath. And so I'm going to be with God in a special way. On this day, it's a way to identify with him, loving others. And Jesus went on and on and on about this is a way that you identify with God. Now, this isn't uh, especially talking about loving others who love you. Okay, Jesus said anybody and everybody does that. This especially focuses on the fact of loving those who are hard to love. Loving others who are kind of unlovable, that are irritable, that just drive you crazy. Okay, somebody could just come to mind. Uh, that's the person. The better you love them by God's grace and by God's help, the more you identify with God. I mean, who in the world can love well like that except the love of God rules and reigns in their heart? And then godly behavior, um, which is kind of a step beyond just being a good person. Um, but by where there is a discipline about your life, there is an order about your life that has been put in place by God. 
And so there are a variety of practices that you do to keep your heart sensitive to the Lord and keep your heart soft before the Lord and, and to keep your heart loving before others and things like that. You know, why do you do these? Why do you, why do you engage in that and so on? I mean, for a lot of our friends that we just talked about that went away for 24 hours, of retreat, why in the world would you give that much time to you know, a church thing? Love of God, love of people. And then the whole matter of tithing. And you go, wow, I thought your giving was supposed to be kind of secret. Well, it is. Uh, Except for in your own family. I mean, your own family knows what you do. And there were a lot of conversations with my kids as, as they were growing up. And other families and other friends were able to get this or go do that or have this experience. And sometimes they would say, well, Dad, you know, can we do this or can we go? And I would say, you know what? Uh, we don't have the same disposable income to do those things because we tithe and we have made God first in this kind of way, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it thoroughly was an identifying piece within my family. Okay. How do I take a stand with respect to serving God? Well, as we look at the example of Daniel and his friends, it looks something like this. You bless people in the name of God, and you do so without respect to, are they God followers? Are they good people? Uh, Are they people worthy of blessing? Uh, Irrespective of all that, Jesus takes it to the level of even blessing your enemies. You find ways to serve them. You find ways to care about them. You find ways to pray for them. I mean, I've got people that are in my traffic pattern that are just downright profane and sometimes gross. And stuff will be going on around their life, and I will say to them, I'm going to pray for you about that. Or how can I pray for you about that? And after they you know, do a double take or put their jaw back up, they you know, try to respond to me. So, blessing, serving, caring, giving to others, one way. And then another way is to speak hard messages, hard truth. In love. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, every conversation, things like that, but there are those times where something is transpiring and God stirs you to say something hard, something difficult, something challenging, maybe something countercultural, and you do that with grace and you do that with love, but you say it firmly that it's this. Now, let me tease that a little bit more when it comes to. Uh, being faithful. And this is exactly what Daniel did. You know, when he interprets the dream for the king, the first dream that he interprets is pretty favorable for the king. A couple of chapters later, uh, the king's got another dream and calls Daniel back and says, I need help with interpreting this one. And boy, that one didn't turn out too well for the king. And then you get into the next chapter, and there's the whole proverbial writing on the wall. If you always wondered where that phrase came from, it came right from Daniel 5, you're going to find out. Daniel's going to say some hard stuff to the king. And that's what serving looks like. Being faithful. Like my friend who uh, practiced godly ethics within the workplace. That's what faithfulness looks like. You won't compromise. You won't cheat. You won't take shortcut. You won't undermine authority. Those kinds of things. And then taking biblical positions on social issues. The Bible has something to say about every social issue in the news right now. 
God has something to say about every social issue. And it's incumbent upon you as a faithful follower of God to know what's God's position on the matter of life. There is a thorough debate between pro-lifers and pro-choicers and so on. Does God have anything to say about that? Absolutely. You need to know what that is and you need to stand with God. The whole issue of same-sex marriage, does God have anything to say about that? He absolutely does. You need to find out what does God say about it and stand with God on that. On the whole issue of uh, injustices, uh, oppression, uh, the plight of the poor, poverty, those kinds of things, does God have? Yes, He does. What does He say? You have to find that out and you have to stand with God in light of that. That's what being faithful looks like. Now, and this is why we were with a song a moment ago and saying we were called to be courageous. This stuff takes courage. And God has to, to deal with our fears. And that leads me to then, uh, what are you going to do about all this? Will you, in fact, take a stand with God and for God? And if you are, these things will be in place for you. In the first place, you're going to have to trust in the greatness of God. Now, friends, this is why Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could do what they did. They weren't great men of great courage doing great, brave things. They were just ordinary people like you, like me, who all of a sudden got overtaken with the greatness of God. That's why they had boldness. That's why they had courage. You go, how how do you know that? Chapter 6. When uh, the edict goes out from yet another king that uh, for a certain period of time, nobody can pray to their God. Nobody can beseech any other God but, you know, the king. Daniel said, sorry about that. I still have to pray to my God. And so he goes to his place of prayer, just like he always goes to his place of prayer. And some enemies of him had kind of laid this little trap for him. And they busted him for praying to his God. They go tell the king. And so he has to be thrown into the lion's den. We talked about that last week. Where do you get that kind of courage? Well, he's before God. Friends, you're praying is not the spouting of pious platitudes. It's not you talking. Your praying is connecting your heart to the heart of God and beginning to behold the person of God. And when you behold the person of God, you begin to hold the greatness of God. You begin to behold The magnificence, the beauty, the exaltation, the glory. And the more you behold God, the more brilliant God is in your life, the more you see this world for what it is. The more it begins to address the intimidation that's a part of this world, and a part of the culture, and a part of the values and systems that are all around us. If you're not overwhelmed with the greatness of God, you ain't got no courage. You just ain't got it. You can have arrogance. You can you can move in your own pride and in your own strength, and I'll take a stand about you know. But what we're talking about is something that is supernatural, where God's just coming on you in ways that make you a different person in this world, and causes others to take note of God. 
not take note of you and your stubbornness, your arrogance, your willfulness, or anything like that. The second thing I'll say to you is that when you stand with and for God, it's going to look like you're going to be resting in His purposes. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can say to Nebuchadnezzar, Sorry, we are not bowing before that idol. I don't care how many times you heat up that fiery furnace. I don't care what kind of torture you're talking about. Now, why can they do that? Because they're resting in the purposes of God. If it's God's purpose for us to die, we want to die. We, we just want His purpose. If it's God's purpose for us to live, the heat of hell isn't going to destroy us. See, whatever His purpose is, we're just going to rest in that. And we're going we're gonna to go with what He's up to. Man, you see what a powerful way that is to live? In your workplace, He's got a purpose for you being there. And it, it makes irrelevant all the circumstances that are going on around you in that workplace if you're resting in His purposes. And if you are living in those purposes. He's at work about it. He's sovereign. He's going to make something happen for His cause, for His kingdom, for His glory. And then, it's going to look like committing to the ways... Of God. If I'm going to stand with Him, if I'm going to stand for Him, I'm going to be committed to His ways. He's got His own ways about how life is to be lived in this world. And so I don't, you know, say, Oh God, you're the greatest, and there's none like you, and I'll sing a song to you, and all these kinds of things, and then I go about it my own way. Literally, with God, it's His way or the highway. It's His way if you're going to be His people. So the question before us. Will you stand with Him? Will you stand for Him? Let me pray for you. Father, Father, For many in this room right now, you have already begun stirring visual images and scenarios in their mind and in their heart where they live, where it's it's practical of what it would mean to stand. Already fear is present. Anxiety is swirling. We just ask you, Father, would you be so good as to manifest Yourself with us right now. Would you do a little disclosure of your greatness, of your awesomeness, your transcendence? And Father, we, by your grace, will move into the shadow of your wing of your glory and there live for you and stand for you. In Christ's name. Amen.